0: Abandon all prejudices, all ye who enter here. Park your paradigms, perk up your ears, and open your mind as we now shine the laser light of reason on the topic of the sickness of improper perspective. Hello, I'm David Bolton and welcome to my podcast channel dedicated to helping people think more clearly, make sounder judgments, avoid superficiality, and above all, to unceasingly question, instead of naively accepting what others want us to believe, for this is the path of Socrates. My friends, as you have seen, the title of this episode is The Sickness of Improper Perspective. Now, what the devil do I mean mean about that? Well, at least this time I'm not going to be talking about the COVID situation, But about some other sickness, something that most of you have probably never recognized, but I consider it a bit akin to mental illness, actually. And practically all of us fall victim to it. Yes, it's that serious. So what is it? Well, there's a nice little story by Edgar Allan Poe. I wish I could remember the title. I was looking for it in the Internet. I cannot find this story. It's not the Gold Bug or the Pit in the Pendulum, the really famous stories. I read it years ago. I might have even mentioned it in one of the previous uh, episodes. But anyway, I'll give you a, a, a quick recap. A man's in his house, and he looks out the window, and he says, Oh, my God, look at that hill over there. I don't know, maybe 100 yards away, whatever, 50 yards. There's a huge monster in that hill. It might come to my house. And might might eat me. And there's this big thing, says, oh my God, look at all those legs that has it. this hideous creature is walking along the hill. And he looks away, then he looks out again, and sure enough, there it is. Well, then a friend comes to visit him. And he tells the friend about this monster. The friend says, well, I just came from it. I didn't see anything. He says, well, no, look. And the friend looks through the window. Oh my God, you're right, there's a monster. Oh, wait a minute, the friend says. Oh no, that's just a bug in the spider web on the other side of the window pane. Now, this sound, sounds like a bit of, well, of a humorous story by Poe. But there's a very important message that he gives us here. And I'm going to spell it out for you in case you haven't recognized it already and then I'm going to elaborate. The man was just looking out the window and you know how if you woke up and you saw a mosquito in the pillow right in front of your eyes, you're like, oh my God, what monster. But it's it's just a little bug, right? Okay, it might be a mosquito and they're bothersome, but you know, we swat it or usher it out the window gently if you're one of the if you're more woke in nature, and I don't know. Of course, there are two types of woke people, right? The ones that believe we shouldn't even hurt insects and the ones that think it's fine to destroy American cities uh, if the occasion calls for it, but I won't get into that here. <laughs> Sometimes I just can't resist making comments like that. Forgive me, but I am who I am. But you know what I mean. You see a bug up close, and if it takes you by surprise, if you're just waking up, you think it's huge. Well, like this man looking out the window... Because he wasn't seeing things in proper perspective, he was terrified of the big monster. And really, it was just a little bug, but he was looking at it up close. I don't know, from maybe six inches or eight inches away, and he thought it was further away. So that you understand, right? Well, let me tell you, we do the same things in our lives all the time, and this is something I don't. Maybe, maybe I'm too much of a reason person. <laughs> you think? uh and i have my emotions anybody listens to my podcast you'll know that i can really let it out right but some things just don't seem rational to me imagine the little things we get mad at let me tell you another little story and this one i think it's from one of dale carnegie's excellent books not andrew carnegie dale carnegie self-improvement i think it's from one of his books he tells the following story a true story He knew a man that was in World War II. Well, Carnegie was writing in in those years, right? He was from an older generation. And this man had been in a submarine. He was in the Navy during World War II. Now, this man had been an average person. He was a salesman or something. And in his life, well, sometimes he'd have fights with his wife or with his boss arguments. Maybe he had a bit of a temper. And a lot of things just would upset him. You know, people are different there. There's some people have the patience of the same. Frankly, nothing upsets. Some other people get upset at the drop of a hat. Well, that's a, an individual thing. Depends on many factors. You can see indications of that in one's birth chart if you're into astrology. I don't mean the newspaper astrology. That's hogwash. But uh, anyway, it's no doubt connected to DNA and all such things as well, and education, whatever. Some people have more of a temper than others. And this man was a normal guy, but yeah, he could get... Uh, rather angry or even infuriated some things. But then he had the following experience. He was in the submarine. You ought to watch some of these old films, World War II films, and guys in the submarine, whether well, it's the one done decades after World War II, Das Boot, the German film that was put into English as well. So these guys are in the submarine, and suddenly the, the, Jap- <laughs> the excuse me, the Japanese... You know, I live near Tokyo, so I shouldn't say the Japs, but hey, you know, it was war. So people talk like that back then. And having guys in our neighborhood that were relatively young, but they had memories of fighting those Japanese, you know, because I was born in 1955. Uh, yeah, sometimes I'll say Japs instead of Japanese. That's why they talk in those old films anyway. Uh, no offense to the Japanese people or to my wife who's Japanese. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, he was stationed in a submarine, and they had tried to torpedo something or another, I believe, but then the Japanese ships got a lock on to him. Now, what did that mean? That meant, first of all, the submarines would go silent, turn off all radio communications. You put out, you turn off all the lights. Nobody can even talk in a normal voice, only whisper. Be careful if you put down a wrench because it makes the least little clicking sound, their sonar is going to pick it up. And then what do those ships do that are on the surface? They cast out these big barrels called depth charges filled with explosives. And these like big barrels, maybe you've seen this in films, maybe some of you haven't. They sink down in the water and then they explode. And they don't have to really hit the submarine. But if one of them is just a few meters away from the submarine, it's going to blow a big hole in the side and all the sailors in that submarine are dead. <laughs> or maybe they're wishing they were. Maybe one or two manage to get the surface. Depends on the depth and many other factors. But you're pretty much finished. So, the sub went silent because the Japanese had a lock on them. Now, the cooling system is shut down too because that made a noise. So here we're talking about temperatures, probably you know, over 120 degrees Fahrenheit, you know, like over, well over, maybe like, it's 45 degrees Celsius, you know, around there. Totally hot. You're. It's totally humid as well. Can you imagine how uncomfortable that is? The lights are out. You're in total darkness as well. You can't talk to anybody. They were in that state for 15 hours. However, the Japanese knew they were down there somewhere. So, They would cast off a depth charge or two, and suddenly you hear this huge explosion. You think, oh, my God, did that blow a hole in the side? Oh, no, we're still afloat. Then 10 minutes, 15 minutes later, another one and another one, and for 15 hours. Now, I want you to maybe turn this off and take a minute to think about that, because most people, well, everybody has some kind of imagination, but they don't use the imagination nearly as much as they should, and that is impeding their creative ability First of all, in in the arts, but second of all, even understand things like history or psychology. Most people learn facts, but they don't think about them really using their imagination. You imagine that you're lying on your cot in total darkness, and the temperature is over 120 degrees and totally humid. There's no fan, nothing. You can't talk to anybody. And every 10, 15 minutes at the most, you hear this big explosion. And this could mean your miserable death. And it goes on for 15 hours. Even if it's only you know, a half hour, that's bad enough. But 15 hours. Well, anyway, Dale Carnegie, because I believe it was him, talking to this guy. This man told him then. this was years after the war because he did survive. He said, you know, I used to get mad about things. My wife would do something I didn't like or she'd, she'd get mad about And then I'd get mad we'd be yelling at each other. Or it'd be something my boss did that was really dumb. Or he would get on my case about something and have an argument with him. But after the war, since then, it doesn't happen anymore. They're talking in the 50s, I believe, years after the war. He said that one experience of those 15 hours down there taught me proper perspective. When you're in that situation, the terrible heat, the total darkness, thinking any moment the explosion is going to come that's going to kill you miserably the submarine's going to and not not immediately either most likely the sub's going to fill up with where you're going to sink the bottom and then you're going to drown miserably and for 15 hours he said i had time to really think about my life that's all i could do lie there in my cot and think and i would think about my life i think about all those ridiculously stupid arguments i had with my wife sometimes she him sometimes i did about things that are so unimportant That a few days later, we wouldn't remember what it's about. And there's some people that every 10 minutes, they're arguing about something. And he said, I realized then what's really important in life. In that situation, those 15 hours, I knew that it was about life and death. And I had the chance to go back, rethink my entire life, see what a fool I'd been, how I'd got upset about things that are so small and so ridiculous. And here I am about to die any minute. And just wishing I'd be back with my wife to give her words of love and encouragement and, and just laugh it off if she gets really mad because that's not really important. It help her to see things in their proper perspective. So this experience, as horrible it was, and I wouldn't wish I experienced it on anybody, but it served the purpose of changing this man almost totally, teaching him a lesson that was of supreme importance for life. Now, I've long said... A wise person is able to learn from the mistakes and the lessons of others. The average person, well, at least they can learn from their own mistakes, but a fool never learns. <laughs> you may quote me on that because I think it's original. A wise person can even learn from the mistakes of other people. The average person, at least they learn from their own mistakes and a fool never learns, not even from his or her own mistakes. Let's apply that now to this story. When I read that story, I was imagining what would it be like 15 hours in total darkness and 120 degree plus temperature and total humidity, practically, uh, or 99.9%. You imagine how humid it is on a World War II submarine. And every 10, 15 minutes, a death charge, go you know, death and depth charge exploding They could cost me my life and all the, the crew members there. And how intensively you would think about your life in the past because maybe, hey, these are going to be the last things you think about in your life, right? And how that could indeed change a person. Well, just reading that story helped me to improve myself. Not totally, but I thought, yeah, I read this many years ago. I thought, yeah, what is really important in life? And should we really get upset about little things? Because people do it all the time. And by so doing... They're making themselves miserable, and they're making those around them miserable as well. And there's no justification for that. What it's, I can explain why they do it, really, without going into details. Sometimes it looks like they have a good excuse. Uh, you know, oh, why did you burn the food? Oh, I don't know. I just was. I went to the bathroom, and wasn't. I forgot that the gas was, well, you burned the food. Well, okay, maybe you lose a steak that's worth a few dollars. I can see getting somewhat mad about that, frustrated. But once again, think of the guy in the submarine 15 hours. What is that burn steak? How important is that compared to that situation? And let me tell you something now. You better sit down for this one because this might shock you. I know a lot of people these days are so delicate. You can't say anything that might offend them. We don't want to offend people and we don't want to scare people. No, it reminds me, you know, how some modern parents, I remember one time years ago, some people I knew had to go to a funeral. say, oh, so you and your kids are funeral. Oh, no, my son's only 12 years old. I don't want him to see a dead body. I thought, what? You know, I saw my first dead body. it was probably five years old. No, I wasn't in war or anything like that. But, you know, I, I don't know, some old relative died or something. And, and so we went and we saw the funeral home, the dead body there. And, you know, death is something natural. Yeah, it's weird for a kid. Oh, my God, that person's dead. I think it was a relative I hardly knew, so it didn't affect me that much in that sense. But I remember well. I might have told this story before, too, but, you know, I, I talk so much in three sometimes I tell the same story twice, but um, no harm in that. Uh, I was about eight years old, seven or eight. We had to go to church to see some old monsignor who had died, who was there lying with the open coffin we all went around the coffin, and we said a prayer or whatever. There was one little girl, Gail Robinson, little African-American girl, really nice kid, and she walked up. She took one look at that corpse, and she ran up and ah! ah and he was terrified and i remember the nun running after her gail come back come back <laughs> he's not gonna hurt you he's dead <laughs> well she didn't say that which reminds me of something i heard in a funeral it wasn't no not funeral in an easter procession in spain they have these elaborate processions where they're marching through the streets a really old tradition it's interesting here americans when they happen to be vacationing in spain during the easter week because these people who march, that belong to re- religious fraternities, they, they, they wear old-fashioned suits with a lo- high pointed hood. They look like clans, Ku Klux Klansmen, but with more attractive, better tailored things. But you know, th- these suits were in existence long before Ku Klux Klan has nothing to do with that. It's just some sign of penitence, right? Wearing some kind of suit. I think some are red, some are white, whatever. And, and they have a hoods and, and you know the pointy top and everything. And i've heard americans come my god are these clansmen or what but anyway during one of these processions they they carry the, well not, floats i guess you'd say they're like on wheels but uh they actually have people underneath carrying or moving them it's kind of a form of penance and when now some of the people that are moving them are even atheists they just do it because it's tradition right it attracts tourists and everything but remember there's one and uh And there was a cross with Jesus Christ there. And it was a pretty bloody scene because sometimes in Spain you see these crucifixes that are not so stylized. In America you might see a crucifix, but uh, it's just all one color and it's maybe a a metallic color and you don't see any blood really. You know, it's kind of uh, toned down for 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 the faint of heart or faint of spirit, right? But in Spain, some of these old crucifixes are pretty bloody things. You see Jesus is painted, you know, skin color, and the eyes are painted brown, and the hair is, you know, it's really painted, so it looks more realistic. And the blood is just gushing out of the wound on his side, out of his hands and his feet, and of crown of thorns, blood streaming down his face. Okay, it's a statue. I remember one time, I was at one of those processions, and there was a there was a man there with his little, uh, little son or daughter. I, I forget what it was. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't know if I wasn't. Maybe a friend told me. I'd to, I think yes, a friend of mine told me this. That's why I don't remember the sex of the kid. You see, I easily forget. But it was like twenty years ago, and uh, it was a student of mine. As a matter of fact, an adult student, English student, said, "Yeah, I was there," and uh, yeah, it was a little boy. As a matter of fact, now I recall, and the kid was freaking out. Oh my, it's scary because saw so this. You know, I guess he never saw such bloody things in this big crucified jesus comes along on a float and the kid's terrified the father picks him up and says don't worry he can't hurt you he's he's nailed at the cross <laughs> that's pretty grisly humor i'll say but i guess you know the father oh well you know he's jesus nailed the cross he's like down and deck the kid i, I don't know uh, and for all my catholic friends sorry for throwing that in but it, it, it's kind of ghoulish humor but nonetheless now, getting back to the, the idea of, of perspective and seeing things in their right light, obviously if you see a statue of Jesus Christ, well, it's a symbolic thing and you might suffer along with you pray, you know, whatever, uh, a lot of deep meaning in all of that narrative. But nonetheless, it's a statue, so you're not going to start bursting out in tears crying uncontrollably. On the other hand, you know, if you receive news that your brother is just killed in a violent car accident, you probably will sob uncontrollably. You know, everything in its proper perspective. But more mundane things, more average things, were are always placing importance, like like I said, the burn steak and you get upset about it. With me, it was things like computers. You know how frustrating computers could be. I don't think I have to tell any of you that. Maybe you get a virus. Oh, my God, I had a virus, like, I don't know when, when it was, Uh, 10 years ago, maybe. And this is some kind of virus that would enter every one of your HTML files on a computer and add malicious code to it. And I had thousands of those files. So I thought, oh, my God, all the website backups, they're totally corrupted. I found a program that helped me clean them up then. But for days I was here working. And I used to get mad about that. saying, oh, man, why is this? Why can't I solve the problem? And because, you know, if you can't work with a computer for days and you're dedicated, you want to make it work again. Then you're working 10-12 hours a day and maybe you still don't get it in one day. But you know, even that changed when my mother died 2013. All the things I went through helping her through her last phase of life and cancer. And after that, a computer that breaks down. I get somewhat frustrated, but I don't get really mad. Because I learned the lesson. All that I suffered emotionally through the final sickness of my mother, I won't go in the story here. I do have a book where I mention some of that. It's about the abuses of the cancer industry. I recommend you you look it up on my website or whatever, or write to me. I'll, I'll send you because I give it, give it away for free. It's an Amazon at a price, but don't buy it. <laughs> I want to put an Amazon for free. They wouldn't let me, so I had to put a price on it, but I give it away for free. If you go through something like that, then you learn all the more so what's really important in life. I mean, I'd known that before because when my mother died, I was 56, 57 years old. So, yeah, I knew what was important in life by that time. But it really hit home then. And through such experiences, you learn the little things in life. And so many things we get mad about are such little things if you think about them. So why do people insist on getting angry, insulting others, exploding? What this really represents, of course, is that these people are not happy with themselves. That's what it gets down to. And so they're lashing out at their environment very unfairly, I'll say, because I would you know, typically maybe get mad at the computer. But OK, I might curse the computer, but I'm not going to curse at my wife, <laughs> you know, because it's the computer giving me problems and it's a thing. And I curse the computer and it's not going to you know, feel offended or anything. And yeah, if somebody were threatening to attack me or my wife, yeah, I might curse at them too. And then it's a person. Yeah, I'll get mad at them too. But I'm not going to take out my anger or my dissatisfaction with myself or other people. It's not proper. It's not fair. It's not ethical. Although I understand why some people do it. Sometimes it's hard not to do it. You're in a bad mood because of something or another. And then somebody says something, your spouse or whatever. And you don't even want to talk to them. But you don't say that. But then they keep talking and you get mad. And they just kind of explode. Well, no, I don't explode. I control myself. But I understand that many people maybe aren't as reasonable as i am could i put it that way or maybe i could put it another way i'm just rather poor as far as the emotional is concerned could i say that uh does that sound less arrogant i don't i I don't know maybe i'm a bit poverty stricken emotion wise and some people just have stronger emotions look if you listen to me you know i do have emotions but i think they should have their proper place uh Let me tell you, we see what's happening in the world today, and I won't go into a lot of details, I've done that in the past and I will in the future. You see so many lies being told, and you see so many people dying because of this COVID situation, and all the lies connected to that situation. Who isn't angered by that doesn't have much emotion at all, I think. In other words... When I see certain things going in the world, I'm going to get too specific in this episode now, but listen to my other episodes you'll see exactly what I mean. When I see what sure seems to be a several-year genocidal plan already starting being carried out, if that doesn't get you angry, then you have no right to get angry about anything in your life. Because anything in your one life is totally unimportant compared to what's happening today. So in other words, yes, I can get angry and very angry and say things very directly but I reserve that anger for when it's really, really important and not for silly little everyday things that are going to be forgotten within an hour or two. It just isn't proper, and I suggest to people that they try to get that under control. It's a form of mental illness. Nonetheless, we're all stricken by this to some degree or another. I'm very strange in that respect. I don't like bugs in general. And if a one time a flying roach got into the house. I'll never forget that. I was watching the election in in the year 2000. Bush versus Gore. You know, there were a lot of accusations of election fraud back then. <laughs> well, if you think there's election fraud back then, you ain't seen nothing yet, let me tell you. <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. The proofs are coming out these days as I speak more and more. I saw the the, the evidence in November it was there for everybody to see if they if they want to open their eyes but yeah it was during that election near 2000 where it was going on they talk about well was there any kind of a fraud going on in this election and we we're living in Barcelona at the time and it was warm there that day had no shoes and so we we're lying in bed there watching TV and suddenly I see something next to my foot I thought what is that I look down suddenly starts to fly it was a flying roach now I don't like roaches I, well, <laughs> are there people who do I, I don't know probably not but if I see one on the floor, I'll think, okay, get it out of here or kill it. I'll try – I don't want to squash one on the floor, but necessary, yeah, I have no problem with that. <laughs> After all, it invaded my home, so, you know, uh, if I had a gun, maybe I'd shoot it. But then <laughs> instead I'll just beat it with a broom or a step on or whatever. But if roaches that fly, I mean, that's really disgusting. Now, some people don't care. I'm sure there's some <laughs> – some amazonian tribesmen listening to me now because after all they might have internet through a satellite right even though they have no cable connection and they're thinking oh that fool but these flying roaches can be eaten what can be better than have your your next meal fly right into your snoot right <laughs> so <laughs> but i don't like roaches only like flying roaches so i jumped out of bed. it's a flying roach <laughs> my, my, and my wife i both stood up we, we look at that look there. we it sat down again and then I, it started flying right at me. I tore out of that room. And I said, boy, you're really a chicken. And I can't say that she's wrong. However, she said, wow, but if a thousand roaches attack us and, they're, and I fall down, she said, and they're all over my body, you're just going to run away. I said, oh, no, you don't know me. I might get somewhat hysterical at one stupid flying roach. But for thousands of them, and if I have to just squash them with my hands or whatever, I'll do it, and I'm not going to be afraid in that moment you'll think what are you crazy or what no when something's really important to do if it must be done i lose fear and i do what's necessary to do you see what i mean she said well suppose we're starving to this. you wouldn't eat a roach or you wouldn't eat like a cicada i, I call them locusts when i was growing up in baltimore i know they call them cicadas right cicada in spanish i suppose uh but, as a kid in Baltimore, we had those. They're chirping outside, and I can't stand the things as a kid. I go around collecting the shells when they shed their shells we have a collection of these we call them locusts. There's a locust point in Baltimore, one of the where there's a a pier there. My father worked on the waterfront, so I know these things and we just called these critters locusts right, but I think they're really called cicadas anyway, and they can be eaten. you know people that are into bug eating. She said, well, we would starve to death if we're out in the woods. We have no food because, you know, we, neither of us would eat bugs. I said, you're wrong there. She said, what? I said, if I can find locusts, if it's life or death, I'll eat them. Yeah, I swear I will. But as it is, if one flies toward me, tries to get one, gonna brush it away you know, and uh, might even seem a little panicky. You see, the, you see the difference there. I can afford myself the luxury of entering a little panic if some flying roaches is flying around the room. But if there's a thousand of them and they threaten my life, then I'll be squashing them, trying to biting them to death with no fear because it's necessary to not have fear then. So call me crazy if you want. <laughs> but but you see what I mean? When something is necessary, you do it. You put fear aside. Fear is important. But otherwise, we're all impacted by these little mental routines we have oh look there's a big bug oh no you know you're a little scared of it or or, or grossed out by it or whatever but it's not really important so you can afford yourself the luxury of that moment of slight panic or whatever you see the difference there there's a time for everything as it says in the bible boy i laugh at myself when i start quoting the bible (laughs) because i'm not a preacher And once I start giving my talks on Christianity, a lot of my Christian listeners might be dismayed. I'm not an atheist, though. I'll I'll, I'll tell you that much. What I am is simply a reasonable person who knows how to think straight and is trying to get closer to the truth in every area. And you know how much trouble that can get you into? You know how many enemies you can make? I'm just trying to get closer to the truth in every area. And yet I'm constantly disappointed dismayed i learned years ago most people aren't like that they want to believe what they want to believe they're really not trying to get to the truth neither about themselves nor about others nor about in politics nor in history and life in general they don't they're not really trying to get the truth and sometimes you present them with truth and they'll get vicious because they don't want to hear the truth you don't believe that look at ron paul republican but really he's a libertarian uh, he's out of politics now i've read some of his books i listened to him this guy knows about the economy more than 99 percent of politicians he really understands it he understands so many things but he would say it in his, when he wanted to be the republican candidate and that was a couple of times he would tell things as they are and so as a result not even republicans would vote for him he got like one percent of the vote because they don't want to people don't want to hear the truth they don't want to hear hey we have to start tightening our belts we have to stop spending money wantonly in the government and people have to do with less people we hear that people want to be promised more and more and more they don't want to hear the truth that the economy could implode and we could and we'd be thrust into a, a huge economic collapse if we don't start spending less people don't want to hear that they want to hear i'm going to get more next year that's just one example i give you many many more examples from every area of life the people just don't want to hear the truth. Look at medicine. If that's not a sad area, the truth could be, hey, you have diabetes and this sickness, this sickness because you're grossly overweight. You don't do any exercise and you smoke and you drink. So, so hey, let's just stop smoking, drinking, moderate routine of exercise so we get healthier. But people don't want to hear that. They want to hear there's some, some new drug that's going to cure them and they live however they want. And uh, what what if I'm about to die because of my foolish lifestyle well just give me some drug that'll get that's uh, forget about the side effects i mean the side effects will end up killing you they like, people don't want to hear the truth and i give you examples from every walk of life uh oh my god i give if, if, if any walk of life i've give you so many examples i've been observing this all my life really and i've thought what's going on here shouldn't it be about looking for the truth even if the truth isn't so pleasant I was thinking of writing a story about that. I'll probably never get around to it. In some culture where they constantly teach people there is no such thing as death. Now, some, some and people don't believe in death. And the old people are trained that from a certain age, they just walk away and disappear. And people, and people tell the story, oh, they went to another culture. But they're still alive, of course. And nobody realizes there's death. Well, if I were there, I'd study all the evidence and come to the conclusion, mm, I think these people are dying. But if i said that they would attack me they might stone me to death because they just don't believe in death it's not pleasant to believe i mean we know there's death because we've seen so much evidence and we've been taught that there's death but there's so many other things that we're ta- hey now we're being taught there was 2020 that was the cleanest election in american history but those same people that were saying that two years before they're talking about how how uncertain the voting machines were and how easy is commit fraud but by 2020 when they in quotes, won the election. Oh, that was the cleanest election in history. How can, how can these liars sleep at night? How can they even sleep at night? These people aren't looking for the truth. And there's so many that are not looking for the truth. And in a sense, you could hardly fault them because the average person isn't looking for the truth. They're looking for things to believe that are pleasant for them and make life somehow easier. And I do understand that psychologically, but that's not my path. I wanna get closer and closer to the truth. Even if that truth is unpleasant, even if it shines light on defects of mine. Uh, and I'm going to give a talk about that uh, a defect of mine that you may have noticed already. I'll make it a little tense. I'll throw that in there. A very good friend of mine in Spain that listens to my podcast said, you know, but let me criticize you in this respect. And I thanked her for it. I am thankful. First of all, somebody listens to me in the first place, <laughs> anybody does podcasts is thankful for that. But also that she would say, yes, I like so many things to say, but I think your style here, maybe you should consider that. And uh, so I'm going to do a podcast episode about that. I have no no problem with self-criticism. You know, (laughs) did you ever try this? People you don't know too well. I mean, I do some acting work here. Sometimes I go to a set and there are like 50 people there, 20. And some I don't know and some I do know, but not too well. I last saw them two years ago, whatever. And sometimes a conversation, we're talking about psychological things, i say, okay, John or Mary, whatever the name is. We know each other somewhat. We see each other every year, whatever. If our paths cross and some set. I'd like you to tell me honestly, what do you really think of me? I say, you can tell me anything. I'm not gonna don't I'm not gonna be offended or insulted. You can say, just tell me it as a and practically nobody will do that. They might say, Oh, well, you're friendly or you have a sense of humor. I say, No, but say tell me the bad things too. In factly, nobody would do that. Not that they're afraid I'm going to hit them or anything. As I say before, you can say whatever you want. And so if it's something really bad, offensive, I'll think, well, I deserve it because I asked for it, right? And I really could take that. Now, I assume, though, that most people couldn't take that. And so that's why they don't want to do it to me. Maybe they have some really kind of harsh thing they want to say. Or maybe they can't think of anything bad. I don't know. But I don't think it's bad. You know, I, I appreciate friends. That tell me the truth as they see it. Maybe they're right, maybe they're wrong. But that say, you know, let me criticize here. I think this, this, or this. And even though I might not accept the criticism, I, m- I might debate against it, possibly. But it's equally likely to say, you know, oh, I think you have a point there. Or in part, you have a point. But I'm thinking in the inside, I appreciate this type of friend. That values the friendship enough to tell me the, ways, the way they see me. Because, you know, it's hard to see yourself. In any kind of objective manner whatsoever. Not that other people can see you objectively, but if you get opinions, and if you know ten, oh, okay, concrete example. Up until the time I started doing astrology, which was about 2004, I, I argued against astrology until I thought I'm going to prove that it's wrong. So I'm going to get into it and prove it. And then I thought, oh my god, there's a lot to this, and that's a theme for another podcast. My development there. But I know all through like high school, through college, you're saying, you know, you're the type of person, you just like to debate. You're just a bit ornery. like And you just like to debate, sometimes just for the sake of debating. I said, no, it's not that. It's not that. I would argue against that. When I did my astrological chart and when I knew some astrology, I had the typical aspects of people that just like to debate. They have something aggressive. They just like to debate. I thought, wow, these people were right. <laughs> and, of course, I've long recognized they are right. Uh, I had to. I, now, I did not moderate my behavior once I think, well, I'm never going to debate because I think debate is very healthy, especially in scientific matters. It's absolutely necessary. Are you listening to me? You people who are pretending that it's OK to censor the doctors and great medical experts are speaking out against these so-called vaccines. You, are you listening to me? Debate is necessary, especially in science. Debate is necessary in any area where you want to get closer to the truth. Because it's always necessary to approach a topic from different perspectives. This is about the sickness of improper perspective, remember? So I'm not really going off on such a tangent as it may seem. To have a proper perspective, we should see things from different angles. You see what I mean? From different angles. So instead of just trying to think through issues from your point of view, which everybody, of course, does... You know, I'm a liberal, progressive Democrat, and that's the right view because this, because Mark said this, because this person said that. You should think about it from the point of view of the other person. What did, what do your opponents say? Think through their arguments and the opposite, if you're really right wing. Think through the arguments of the other side. Frankly, nobody does that, and they really should, because if you don't do that, you're not going to have anything near a proper perspective, and you're going to drift further and further away from the truth, because the truth Almost always, I'll say, does not lie at one extreme or the other. Talking about extremes here, like a polarity. The far this and the far that. The truth, almost never will you find it at one extreme or the other. It's somewhere in between. Ah, subtlety. Shades. But how dearly do we hold on to these extremes? this is my view and I'm 100% right. Well, I'm sorry, my friend, you're a fool and a fanatic. Because anybody is always, oh, I'm 100% right on this. uh, You have problems. And you have the sickness of improper perspective that can show up in many ways. Yes, I know once again I'm insulting part of my audience. But you know, I am who I am. And I say things the way I see it. Hey, if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Look into your heart. Then you'll find out if I'm right or not. Do you always consider seriously the arguments of the other side? Do you do that? Do you really think them through? Do you ever think, okay, and I do this frequently, I think suppose all my arguments for everything that I espouse, for everything that I uh, debate in favor of, suppose I'm wrong in this issue, suppose I'm wrong in that, let me think it through from from what the other side is saying. Although practically always when I do that, I'm firmer than ever in my beliefs because I think, well, the other side's just wrong. I've thought it through better than they have. Maybe because I think of what the other side could be thinking. I try to come up with the very best arguments for the opposite of what I believe. How many of you try that? You should be doing it all the time. Let me tell you, this can expand your mind like you wouldn't believe. Because sometimes you see, oh, wait a minute. On that issue, the other side is right. Well, I better change some of my beliefs. But instead, we cling to our beliefs as if they're life rafts and we're about to sink. I have to have my beliefs because that's who I am. No, you are not your beliefs. You are much deeper than your beliefs. But this is a problem especially of the left. The further you go to the left of the political spectrum, the more atheism you'll find. And so they try to explain everything just with materialism. Oh, yes, all these wondrous thoughts you have, creative ideas, love, the power of love, whether it's platonic or Familial or, or romantic love, that's just all a lot of neurons and hormones in your system. That can all be explained chemically. <laughs> no, it can't be. No, it can't be. And I think I can demonstrate that pretty convincingly, but I won't get into that uh, uh, now. Uh, there are deeper dimensions to people. And some people hang on to their beliefs because they that's their personality. That's, that's what defines me. It shouldn't be what defines you. Beliefs are things that can come and go. And it should constantly be refined through proper thinking, through trying to gain a better perspective of things by shining the laser light of reason. I'm not about to end quite yet, (laughs) even though I use this term, by shining the laser light of reason on the topic from different angles. From your angle, yes, but then from this angle, from that angle, from that angle, in politics, if you're, for example, to the left, think it through and listen to what the right says on different issues. And think it through. Try to come up with the best arguments you can from their position. And from an anarchist position. People say, we don't need any government at all. In other words, we don't want a leftist, say, Marxist government. No, we don't want any government. Well, think it through from their position as well. Think it through from some totalitarian dictator's position. Think it through from every position. And if you do that, and if your position is the correct one, you will have more certainty that you are in the right place. This is why... The people that I think deserve the most credibility are the people that are not on the far right, not on the far left, not on the far anarchists, whatever, but the people who have reasoned things through. Just for the economy, as Ron Paul, we said, read about the Austrian School of Economics. Uh, read about that. Uh, Hayek, for example, or Ludwig von Mises, in very palatable form presented by Henry Hazlitt, all of whose books are free, Hazlitt, H-A-Z-L-I-T-T. Henry Hazlitt. In other words, how to create a really good and solid economy based on reason, based on sound economic principles. Uh, Now, that's more connected maybe to the right, but in fact, it's more libertarian in approach. In other words, a lot of these terms we use, we create these terms right, left, and I'm right wing, I'm left wing, I'm this, and you use that to define yourself, and you're losing perspective by doing so. What you are is much deeper than your beliefs, believe me. I'll get into that in the future. Believe me or don't believe me, but at least meditate on it, think about it. You are much more than just the beliefs you have and the things you spout off in Facebook uh, because if that's all you think you are, in a sense, that is all you think you are because you can't go beyond that because you've hypnotized yourself and, and with false beliefs, basically. You are much deeper than that. Therefore, beliefs should be seen as something that can be good guides for us in life, but we should constantly question them. It's like you have to get from one place to another. You have to go through deserts and through jungles, and you have a guide. And you put your life in that guide's hands, but there's nothing wrong with questioning that guide. The guide says, yes, we must continue going west, right? But then one when, when day comes, and it's a many, many day journey, and suddenly it, it's, you know, the sun is going up, but it's going up in the direction you're going. You say, wait a minute, guide, you said we must go west, but obviously we're going east now. We have a right to question that, right? Maybe the guide's very trustworthy and the guide says, well, yes, basically we're going west, but at one, but, but at one point there's a, a mountain range blocking us. We have to go back the other direction and go around here. And then he can explain it, right? But you have a right to question. And that's the way you should see beliefs. Beliefs guide us through life, hopefully, hopefully to a good place. Though when I see the beliefs that a lot of people have, it's no wonder they don't end up at a good place i'll be talking much more about belief in the future but consider all of your beliefs as sort of a a very good guide to life and depending on what the beliefs are the guide's going to take you to a good place or a bad place hey maybe this guide is a devil himself or some evil person that's going to be leading you to a concentration camp oh they won't call it that they'll call it a green zone <laughs> those of you in the know know what i mean by that they'll call it a green zone they won't call it a concentration camp but maybe your guide is good he will lead you to a place of happiness and fulfillment but in any case you have a question, you have a right to question your guide say hey guide it looks like we're not going west we're going north can you explain that to you? you have a right to question and the guide here represents the beliefs you have question your beliefs and you can question the beliefs of others but don't get married to your own beliefs and think i'm never give this belief because oh, this defines me If your beliefs really define who you are, then you're in a pretty sorry place, let me tell you. Because you're much greater than any beliefs you could possibly have. Take it from me, or don't take it from me. Meditate on it. Meditate, that is just ponder it deeply and think about it. So, improper perspective. Actually, this subject goes so deep that I could talk about mental illness many types of mental illness as examples of improper perspective you know like the paranoid type of person who thinks that the cia has launched 10 satellites into space just to track their movements or or such things or they think that you know whatever it's it's an improper perspective i can explain more or less how that happens that prospect or that that uh that that uh, what's the word here that situation right and how they get that sort of perspective on things. Sometimes it's pretty obvious from the lives of the people. But, you know, there's no fixed line between, oh, this person is crazy and this person's normal. Believe me, all of us are crazy to a certain extent. Except maybe the only exception I can think of would be some sort of guru that meditates so much that this person's consciousness is totally free of any illusions. They're seeing things just the way they are. But I've never met a person like that. But I think there, there have been examples, maybe some great Indian gurus or something like that. But they're few and far between. And for us other mortals, it's a question of trying to avoid being too crazy. What do I mean by crazy here? Well, like, like me, and I'll confess, I see a flying roach and I start to panic. Oh, my God, there's flying roach on It's a little thing. Like I said, if I have a visitor who happens to be from the Amazon jungle, he say, oh, good, this flying roach will grab with his hands and, and gulp it down. Oh, look, free food flying right, right at me. <laughs> well, at which point I might want to throw up. But nonetheless, <laughs> even though he's the one that ate the flying roach. But you see what I mean? And that's a little bit of insanity to kind of freak out if you see a bug. But, you know, like I said, a really important situation. If I had to survive in the jungle, I don't know. I'm in some jungle and the enemy is close by and I have to be totally quiet. And if some kind of roach comes and crawls in my face, I'm not going to freak out. Because if I do, the enemy is going to hear me and they're going to blow my head off, throw a grenade at me or, or shoot me full of holes. Right. So then I'm not going to freak. I know I wouldn't. I know 100 percent that no bug is going <laughs> to is going to make me freak out in that kind of situation. But in my house, yes. And I give that just example. You all have little examples like that. Some people are terrified of snakes, for example. Right. You just mentioned a snake. Oh, snakes. These are maybe things in the collective unconscious, right? Because often in in history, going back way far, uh, people have been killed by poisonous snakes. For some reason, I was never really afraid of snakes. Uh, One time a German friend of mine had like a boa constrictor, and he took it out of its glass cage and said oh here why don't you hold it he put it in my arms and i held the thing yeah now when it started tightening up i said i just kind of pushed us hey get the thing off me but i wasn't terrified but some people a little snake to be terrified i'm i'm i would freak out more at a flying rope than i would at a snake if it's in my apartment yeah i just say oh my god there's a snake it could be poisonous but i'm not going to freak out as much because snakes can't fly and you know we'll get a long stick and try to get it or call some kind of if it's big enough called the city or whatever you know everybody has their little pet peeve or their pet fears right and these are little bits of insanity in every person i don't know who doesn't have that uh i mean i've known people maybe military or even in battle but you mentioned something like hypnosis and oh well that's kind of scary i think what that hypnosis you know, it doesn't scare me at all but some people think hypnosis is scary and there might be warriors that were in wars but you mentioned maybe a ghost story they, oh whew, don't don't tell me that's scary well, it's, once again, a little bit of insanity. Somebody that could, I don't know, fight the Vietnamese or, or Afghanis, the Taliban, or I knew some older guys maybe in World War II fighting the Germans or Japanese, and, and they might get scared at a ghost story. To me, that seems insane. I'd be much more afraid of, you know, the German division on the beach where I'm landing. There, you, know, you know, if I can go through that and an uncle went through five such landings. Uh, and this guy really didn't seem scared of anything. He probably wouldn't have been scared of ghost story. But I've known people who were really strong people and warrior types that might have been scared of ghost or, or scared of a concept like hypnosis. It's a kind of insanity, just like my insanity with the flying roaches. And it's improper perspective. Once again, the sickness of improper perspective. This is actually a huge topic I could talk about probably all day. I'm not going to do that. Don't worry. I'm going to end soon. We're at now minute 49. Uh, this talk is just to get you introduced to the subject, and that you start to think about it in your everyday life. In what areas of your life are you a little crazy? Do you get really upset about things that really aren't so important at all, and you get mad and you yell or curse or whatever about things that really aren't worth it? Meditate a little on that story I told you about the submariner or submariner, some pronounce it some way, some other <laughs> the other way. I don't know which is most accepted. And uh, that guy in the submarine who went through those 15 hours of total hell and how that changed his life. You think about that. You think about big things that happened in your life, maybe the loss of a parent. Remember that so that that memory of something really important might help you to get over your little foibles, your weaknesses, and your petty little silly bouts of anger that are so ridiculous in comparison. It's not important at all. Or if you have some little phobia like the bug, my bug, well... Not all bugs, but certain bugs give me a little phobia. Uh, others don't at all. I don't know why. <laughs> uh, with the roaches, maybe because I live in like a ghetto area, and when roaches start in an apartment, oh, that's really disgusting. <laughs> uh, with others, might be a snake phobia. might be some other sort of strange phobia. But think about those things. I'm not saying that if you have a bug phobia, well, go to, you know, try to make friends with those bugs and, you know, pick up one just to get it, because it, it, it's not really that important. But just be aware of it. Be aware of how in so many things we have an improper perspective. And be aware of how if you want to improve yourself in life, that is, if you're one of those people who doesn't want to always cast the blame for your problems on other people or in society. We think, no, I want to take active measures to improve myself. Think of how you can improve yourself. Think about whether you're seeing things in proper perspective in, in different areas of life, in politics or in, in I'll, I'll give you one thing to think about. Once again, uh, the importance of, look, of hearing both sides of the debate in this COVID so-called vaccine issue. Because they're really just experimental drugs. Some people don't even think it's important to hear what the other side says. Believe me, this is a question of life or death of millions of people. This is important. The flying roach in the room is important at this point. The snake crawling <laughs> over your sofa isn't important at this point. But the fact that no matter which side is right, you know, if the vaccine side is right and vaccines are going to save us all, then people talking against vaccines, they could be murderers, as some suggest. The only thing is I've studied the evidence of both sides. And let me tell you, the evidence shows totally the opposite. The, the weight of evidence shows the opposite, that these vaccines, so-called vaccines are extremely dangerous and people should not be given these vaccines. But in any case, no matter what you happen to believe. You're under an ethical obligation to go into it more deeply, to listen to the other side and then and then not only make a decision but speak out about what you've discovered because millions of lives are at stake. And if your perspectives on life are so messed up that you don't get active even when millions of lives are at stake, like I said, one way or the other, no matter what you believe, it's a question of millions of lives. If you don't get involved then, then you are really sick with improper perspective. Then you're really suffering a terrible illness, an illness, I would say, greater than COVID itself. Because if you don't put things in perspective in this, and if things keep keep going down the present path, and millions more people die, and maybe millions die of these so-called vaccines, and you haven't even informed yourself, then you're really sick. (laughs) I'm sorry, my friend. Then, Then your perspective is not... Proper, and that's I'll, let's just use that as an example here. I give many other examples of how we get, how we've let politicians get away with things just because we didn't want to get involved in politics. Ah, oh, well, I, I hate Trump or I hate this one or I hate that one, that. and you don't think any more deeply about what these people are actually doing uh, for the country or against the country. If you don't take some time to look into that, you're part of the problem. By which I don't mean to imply we want to get rid of you. Because I'm not a genocidal maniac. But there are some in the world. There always have been. And unfortunately probably always will be. Another thing to look into. And let that be enough for today. About this introduction to the sickness of improper perspective. You think about all these things. You don't have to agree with me. And if you have some good arguments against anything I say. Please write to me. Or send me an mp3 or whatever. And let me know. Because hey maybe on some points you're right. Maybe on all points, you're right and I'm wrong on everything. Well, show it to me, though. Give me evidence. Give me sound reasoning and or evidence. And we can talk about it. And if you'd like to have a conversation with me that we record and put in my channel, I would welcome that. Let's have a debate or just a friendly conversation. Uh, I think that'd be interesting to do because I always like to get to know people better. So hoping that these thoughts have helped you to think a bit more deeply about your life and, and help you in some practical ways. Just maybe. I'll sign off for now, thanking you for following me on this, The Path of Socrates. Have a good day or night, depending on where you are. Until the next time, bye now.